0: I'm plugging to the Agora's Nexus. Nexus. We need the whole community connected. connected. We're the alternative collective. collective. Self-sufficient and effective. Sell the rug from and a, effective.
1: Yeah. Each, each one uh, sells yeah. <laughs> the rug from effective. The Agora's Nexus Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Harding here today with Hootie Johns. Um, we're going to talk Christian anarchy and a variety of other subjects, basically whatever uh, shoots across the screen. And uh, ultimately, I uh, think this is going to be a good, productive uh, podcast episode back, because it's been a bit. Um, and if you've got an anarchist project you want to talk about or n- subject you feel uh, expertise in, uh, feel free to hit me up and we'll uh, talk about getting you one. But ultimately... Uh, this is brought to you by PreSearch, uh, privacy-forward, uh, decentralized uh, search engine, and it also has some other features. Uh, you earn uh, their in-house cryptocurrency for, uh, for doing searches uh, and you don't get tracked by Google. You can use any search engine you want with PreSearch while also uh, getting the, like uh, their tokens, which can be used for ads on their site. Um, or you can cash them out if you do something very complicated, um, and all of this uh, is designed to put your privacy forward and to like give you search results based on a decentralized model rather than what Google wants to prioritize in the moment. Um, you can either use any of their like you know hundreds of search engines that they have available. Um, like your standard, like Google, and anything like that. Or you can use the pre-search search engine, which will stake your tokens for ads, uh, so you can put your content out there and get it uh, more recognized by just using the service. Um, but all that being said, it's also brought to you by Agora Staker Seeds, um, and right now you should be getting ready for some sort of apocalypse, so be sure to use uh, code NEXUS for... Uh, 20% off uh, your order, and uh, also stuff will go to the Nexus. Um, so with that being said, uh, Hody majored in theology at Liberty University. He currently uh, writes for Game Rant and, uh, and is still affiliated with the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, how you doing today, Hody?
0: I'm great, and just happy to be talking about something I'm actually qualified to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I love playing video games. I'm glad I have a job in that area. Certainly not qualified. Didn't get any formal education there. Uh, talk about politics a lot, and obviously anarchy a lot. But that is also a uh, just a, a something I've fallen in love with, and so it's nice to actually be able to talk Christianity and put my degree to some use. Darn it, things yeah. been collecting dust.
1: Well, so, ultimately, like, there, there are a few reasons I wanted you wanted to discuss this. Um, most notably, that you're one of the Christians who's authentically willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and, like, actually have parlay with people and, you know, be, uh, like, a, a reasonable human versus a lot of people who falsely call themselves Christians and just use it like Christianity as an excuse to treat people like shit or domineer or justify empire and crusades or, 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 um, you don't do that. Um, so what, what I'll ask you, um, to begin with is like, what, like sort of uh, I guess made you a Christian. Were you uh, like that way as a kid? Did you grow up in the church, and uh, how did that influence uh, your mentality?
0: Yeah, it's a good. Oh man, a good. And I'll try a good story. I'll try to keep it as limited as I can. Uh, I was always interested in faith. Uh, something my parents noted from when I was young. I got, and so it was a picture Bible, but it had all the words of the Bible on it. Just, you know, with pictures accompanying it. thick book, right? right? And I went through it when I was real young. Of course, I mean, we're talking uh, six or seven years old at the time. Didn't understand what all the words I meant. I'm sure in some cases let the pictures tell the story. And I was like, oh, cute, some words there. But had at least fully gone through the Bible, like, without pictures by the time I was 10. Even beyond Christianity, which is, you know, obviously some way I was raised – I was always not convinced that that was necessarily the only faith. I was aware of other people existing and and other perspectives. And I was very aware from a young age that I'm in a Judeo-Christian environment, so I'm going to get a Judeo-Christian bias. And so I sought out things my mom was really understanding um, with giving me kind of similar books. You know, when you're a kid, you just kind of, without Google, right? I mean, I'm lucky to have AOL and old school dial-up at this time, you know, that, that I'm just kind of like, you, you find the Bhagavad Gita, and you're just like, oh, okay, I, I guess I can look this up, you know, see what the Krishnas are about. You kind of, you find tidbits of information. It would have been nice to have more Google from that time period. But, you know, just consuming uh, religious texts, I, I did settle that I kind of believed in the idea of Christianity early. Um, I ended up becoming uh, a a Mormon in college, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That lasted a while, actually, probably for, like, almost all my adult life. And then, um, frankly, and I think as it pertains to this subject and this conversation overall— They just kind of started not behaving in the way that Christ behaved. And there's a general cultural thing. And every it's hard because every religion has an individual that does something bad. And you can't just Uh say, Well, this religion, I'm gonna toss out the whole thing because these individuals are bad. If you judge any religion by the worst cultural aspects they have, you're going to hate that religion. I mean it's just and it's not that those aren't worth addressing.
1: But, but you are on board with Westboro, right? Like you're one of them. <laughs>
0: of course, right? Like, oh my goodness. But yeah, you you get guys like that, and and one of the things is they were nut jobs, but people didn't distance themselves enough. Like, oh, they're just misunderstood. You understand? You know. And and I found the LDS Church. They actually had an amazing policy of we witness to your faith, and allow you to decide what's true or not. And they actually decided to. They just Decided to abandon the policy. I remember one week, one month in church, we we're like, we know we have this policy, but they're about to pass weed here. They're about to legalize weed. Oh, no. And so we just we, need, we felt the need to make an exception to tell people, hey, guys, no weed. And then they made an exception. Oh, hey, guys, no gay, you know, and and just it started becoming constant until the point that the policy didn't exist anymore. And it became like a, we tell you what to do. It's a real shame because you had people that vastly disagreed with each other. Uh, Harry Reid and Mitt Romney are both Mormons. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you'd have these people of very different values practicing the same faith. And unfortunately it's just kind of not that way anymore. I was, I was swayed a lot by their good works and there are some, in fact, notably even above other Christians that you could point to as good things, but it doesn't negate the bad. And they do have some things that are particularly like some things that are the best at among Christians, some things that they're the worst. And I think that even if it ends up like, I, I can't tell you which church is true. I think every Christian has to make that journey for themselves. If a church, any church is true at all, I'm, I'm kind of just a Protestant. So back to the stage of awaiting the restoration, but I You'd think, would be like, like what they
1: call non-denominational
0: non-denominational, sure yeah, uh, EV free, eh, I don't know uh, but yeah, like uh, and there's the elements of a lot of churches that I do think are divinely inspired, and I take those bits with me, because I feel that God actually did speak to them, there's even elements of non-Christian faiths I take with me, because I do feel that God was involved in that and just appeared to them as you know, the way he would but anyway, I'm getting sidetracked this is basically my story i left because of cultural issues and and they weren't living the words of jesus similar to the way that jesus was a jew you know within that faith and yet had major issues to the point where he kind of became a non-traditional practicer of what would be the jewish faith and then later morph into the christian faith you know to him these are not necessarily all that different but the church had left the morals as opposed to the morals leaving the church. And this is kind of the way I felt with the LDS church, that their ethics had left, you know, what, what I felt. And of course historically you can always be like, you should have seen it. Look at here, here, in the here. Which is why I say it's very difficult. You know, you can find ind- individual instances in every faith that people really screw in the pooch. But it just became obvious to me, you know, about three yeah. or four years ago.
1: Go ahead. Well, so I ultimately that's one of the things is that like Churches will, by their organizational nature, they will trend toward big, and they will trend toward um, not rocking the boat, um, rather than you know rocking it. Significant, like churches would oppose Jesus throwing the the money changers out of the temple. Like <clears throat> we've got so many examples of just like the the monetization and the like sort of gutting of the message of Christianity. Um, like to the point where (laughs) there are people tooting around in private jets um because they don't want to fly in a tube full of demons, and that's what they would be doing if you're familiar with. So like yeah, they've they've got this, like, but they ignore the part where Jesus said that you should like like sell all you have and follow him, and that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, yeah. oh wait, Christianity isn't just about stacking money and securing bags. Damn. Like the, even in libertarian circles, there's a huge undercurrent of just evil masquerading as Christianity uh, and, and, and getting a huge amount of money in doing so. Like like th- there's this um, fucking king pilled guy who started to, like, have a significant amount of influence not too long ago, where he was saying, stop being poor. And he was saying that you should use the Bible as a way to get, like, money. Um, And no, that's not what it's for. You should use the Bible as a way to justify working with the government and, um, like, you know, getting your own sort of power, politically speaking. And then after you get your own political power... Um, you can just force your way as a libertarian. And it's like, no, that's not what Christianity is, you know? Or you could, like, get enough deals that the government leaves you alone because you've got enough money to be corrupt with them. And it's like, no, th- this none of this. None of this is king-pilled, you know? None of this. <laughs> right. And, like, so you end up with all these, like, people just intentionally corrupting the message or the fake... Uh, tradcasts, um, like the people in Catholic Hangout, which is the new version of Liberty Hangout, which was literally just, like, saying, like, everything Trump does is awesome. Hail King Trump. And then, like, after all of that, saying that they wanted to infiltrate libertarianism and make it right wing. And now, like, they're not talking about liberty at all. They're talking about Catholicism. And it's still the same guys. Like, fuck, Justin Moldo and Kate. Bennett, it, they're not good examples of Christianity. They're examples of people who want to invade your home and your life and control what you do. They're they're fine with walking in darkness. Um, they're fine with serving mammon. They're fine with whatever they have to be fine with in order to make their money and plunge forward. Um, and they're good at pandering to a conservative base. And that's it. Like, they're not preaching any real Christianity. They're They're putting on the veneer, the aesthetic, and that's what a lot of people do. Like they'll they'll put on the veneer and they they won't actually. So like when I quote the Bible to people and maybe this is something that you've had experience with. When I quote the Bible to people like this, they will balk. They will not like it. They'll block me on social media. They'll yell. They'll get very defensive and personal. But I'm quoting your book. Right. So my my experience in that regard is that they're not real willing to accept the terms and conditions that they themselves sign and tell other people to sign when it indicts them, when it says that they're misusing the product.
0: Yeah, one of the and in fact, it's one of the notes that I even have for this session that I wanted to cover here is the paradoxical nature of many things in the Bible, and in fact, every religious text of note that I can point to, is that there are things, paradox is something that like seems like it contradicts each other, seems like it might be false, and requires further explanation. And so it's very easy to point out something that says, hey, judge, and then hey, don't judge in the Bible. And then we go, well, what do we do? I, I you know, And you'll get the Christians that side with judging the heck out of people, and then the Christians side with, No judgment. And it's like, well, you know, no discernment at all. And so it's like, where's the actual stance on judgment? Well, really, these verses make sense when placed into context, when understood. This isn't God actually contradicting himself. This is just greater understanding. There are three instances in the Bible of Christ breaking Levitical law that that we know of, right? The uh, healing on the Sabbath, um, not having his apostles wash his hands, which was actually a death sentence. (laughs) Uh, punishable by death in your Old Testament law, and then um, not stoning the adulterous woman in accordance with Levitical law. And Mm -hmm. in all these instances, I I think what makes what I find to be the beauty of Christian anarchy, because I I obviously been a Christian longer than I've been an anarchist for. Um, I was an anarchist even longer than I thought I was an anarchist for, I was just calling it something else. But the idea that There is a, what does it mean to complete the law? And there's a lot of discernment here because I find that Jesus is on another level, but I relate a lot to his apostles who were just like, well, I want to know what a sin is. You know, can can you give me, can you be more specific than how you're being? Because Christ, we're actually told and actually says this in scriptures, didn't speak scripture at all. In fact, only spoke analogies to people. So why is he only speaking in metaphors and analogies if this scripture is so important? Really what it is is the completion of the law is about the ethics of the thing. What's the point of the law? To try and make people ethical. Government laws fail often because we use a single standard for every single situation. The the rejection and Mark of being like, let's not kill these people for not washing their hands before they ate is kind of saying, well – What's the result of this? What's the harm versus what's the reward? Hey, guys, it's still not a good idea to eat with dirty hands. We're not trying to make you sick. But maybe the death sentence isn't the smartest way to go about it, right? And Maybe just threatening everybody with death, you know, like a DUI. Like, yeah, you risk killing people. I could see being angry enough to want to kill somebody, especially if you've had a level one die in a DUI. But having that constantly hanging over them is, is not really the point. The, the the point is the ethics. Please don't drink and drive, right? Please don't, you know, please wash your hands. Try to keep the Sabbath holy. But if the result of adhering to those laws is a greater, you know, and this is something Christ says very specifically with how we judge sin. Bad fruits come from bad trees exclusively. Good fruits come from good trees exclusively.
1: Mm -hmm. So,
0: and I find it to be a beautiful standard because it does differ person to person. We are different people. What is good for Hody Johns is not necessarily good for Jeremy Harding, right? Like what is good for Jeremy Harding is not necessarily good for Hody Johns. We have different recommendations. They say the best diet is the one that you can stick with, right? Right. Totally true, right? And so, it's not me establishing one single standard of diet and saying, everybody follow this. It's saying, let's measure the fruits, see if what we're producing is good, and then go from there. I use this a lot when we talk about, like, progressive issues within the Bible. You know, we talk about, you know, Let's just say gay people, right? well, if my if the result of me being anti-gay is my child committing suicide, then the fruits spare themselves. I don't need God to say, "Well, you did right or you did wrong. The result was them killing themselves. It was wrong. That's just the fruit of that of that labor of what I did. You know, if the fruit of that labor is they go out and have children with somebody they love and they grow up in a great and healthy environment and they're learning and building and growing, then the fruit, proves it. Like, this is the biblical standard for how we judge sin, right, is by judging the result and then saying, okay, so therefore it's good. Now, if I were gay, it would not be a good fruit, right? So this is, Bible doesn't say be gay or be not gay. Bible is, let's examine your fruits and see what you did. And I point out that these laws that Jesus broke weren't just government laws, because we're talking about government laws Jesus broke millions and Billions, right? Like thousands of them. But Levitical religious laws that Jesus broke. So even the religious authority isn't enough to – isn't enough to take away your morality, your personal morality. That is still king. If you have a personal revelation that says kill and eat these animals, even if the existing tradition says you don't kill and eat those animals – you go with your personal revelation over the general one. So your personal walk with God is always more important. This leads me to a hardcore anarchist Christian stance because I can no longer collectively make rules that work for every single person. I can have generalities, we can talk in stories, you know, I still think healing is is good, you know, but what does healing look like? Well, that's that's going to differ. That's why he talks in metaphors. That's why he, he, he makes all these symbols is to help us understand the general philosophy and the principle of it, as opposed to saying, here's a list of yeses and nos, and just make sure you check all the yeses, and then you're good to go to heaven. We have an example of somebody who never believed in Christ, who was a murderer who got crucified, at the very end was just like, hey, please remember me when you get to your kingdom. God says, you're going to heaven. We have another guy who gives away almost all of his possessions, but holds back on a little bit, and Christ strikes him dead on the spot. And we just kind of go, well, what is what is the standard here? Well, if there doesn't seem to be a standard, it's because God's judging your heart, and that's really what matters. And there's never going to be a single principle. On paper, that murderer is, of course, worse than the guy who gave away almost all of his possessions. But that's not the way God judges people. It's not the way we can judge people either.
1: Yeah, well, you know, first thing is that this is one of those many instances where it comes into play. Matthew has always been my favorite gospel. Um, And the reason it's my favorite is because the whole thing is be consistent and be reasonable and uh, don't like don't live a life that don't don't talk about a life that you're not willing to live. So when you say like you know the judge not line, for instance, the, the, the first verse, judge not that ye not be judged, um, is like there's 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 more to that sentence. And the reason that sentence starts off the whole thing, uh is like and it's one verse uh in and of itself, is it it's not saying, you know, it's never like good to judge. Like, that's what discernment is. That's what the fruits of the spirit are. Um, you know, that's what testing the spirits are. But, like, it's saying, judge not that ye not be judged. So, it's like, it's, it's when, when you look at the words and the way that they were, um, it was always designed to say, don't condemn somebody for actions that you would not, like, be condemned for, or for lifestyles that you would also... Um, and because, like, the purpose of Christ's coming was theoretically salvation. So you can't just, like, offer that on a stick and then, you know, stab somebody as soon as they approach because they didn't do exactly what you would have done or wanted. Um, and then the next line elaborates. It says, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto, unto you again. So it's like. It's saying, you know, check yourself before you check anyone else. And that's something Christians don't like to do. And it, it really elaborates with this sort of like almost mocking tone. And it says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Um, And when you realize that the point of these verses was to say that Christianity is a personal walk, not a walk of judgment of others, um, and that you should judge yourself before you judge anyone else, um, it becomes clear that the verses were not about, you know, Uh, some sort of like antithetic because Christian the the Bible is full of judgment and the Bible is like sort of commands people to tell people about the coming judgment and the whole point is that you're supposed to use discernment and try to live your own life first before have tending to anybody else because you're all you know sheep in the flock and y'all fuck up and y'all have issues and you know, there's all these things. and you know, trying to like summarily execute somebody on their own cross is not Christianity. What Christianity is is trying to live your best life. And that's the reason in matthew uh, six uh, it it talks about uh, basically Christian anarchy. Um, but like most people don't want to talk about that. Uh, that it says uh, fucking. Lay up not for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's saying that, like, you know, when people try to build up their empire here on earth and they, you know, Western civilization or whatever, Um, When they try to build up their, like, little right-wing echo chambers and they're very upset when somebody might come in and, um, you know, (laughs) molest their property. Um, They're, like, when they're trying to say that their value is here and that, like, they're not, you know, beholden to a greater purpose, that they're just, like, stacking, um, that they're not, you know actually following christ um and like in addition to that uh this also has like verses about uh no like christian anarchy in specific um no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon um therefore i say to you uh take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? So basically, the, the whole point of Matthew itself is to say, I think it's very well condensed in those, is to say your life should be yours first and not to judge other people. You shouldn't try to control other people. You should try to live holy. And you should try to like control yourself. And if somebody is doing something that you see as outside of that, be a good enough example that they want to join you and like, don't worry too much about whether or not you have power over other people or that money, because that's going to be a corrupting influence or that like social capital or whatever. Just make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And like Christians hate that. They hate that message for the most part because it it condemns them. It indicts their character as people who are way too focused on their own gain, on their own position, on their own like lives. And instead of being focused on God and the, me- the mission and the message, they've become focused on personal enrichment and personal power. And, you know, that's one of the, the reasons that a lot of bigots get there. And it's like, you know, maybe the, maybe it's not good to be LGBT, but maybe God made him that way. Who knows? Like, there's a lot of scientific research that's been done to prove that they're born that way. And if that is the case and God gave us the tools to, like, prove things through science, you know, because everything that exists is something that he made and can use, Um then I don't know why science would be lying to us with things that can be demonstrably proven and things that we can look at. So it's like, maybe these people, these people are judging aren't actually worthy of judgment. And if people would look inward rather than constantly looking for some boogeyman in the form of like, you know, previous Christian racism or current Christian anti-LGBT bigotry, they would be like better off and more Christian
0: yeah I've, I've been making notes here because you're bringing up a lot that i have in addition to to the notes that i i brought here um the idea of focusing inward is so critical to christianity and this is a big part of the not judging it's lest you be judged you know because for your own sake right you don't want to get judged you know and at the same time i think this is also not just in a practical like go to heaven sense but also in a very worldly sense too we don't want any judgment turned around against us so if we're not constantly condemning others you know and living our own life one of my favorite parables in the bible because it just hits so many angles the parable of the prodigal son mm-hmm. it's often used and often used well the, the the meaning that everybody knows is great but um this this there's an angle to it of how does the father call his son to repentance because Christians are used to this. You're you're gay and I'm not a bigot. This is just me, you know, saying you're a sinner and I, I love sinners, I just, you know, unfortunately have to hate your sin. So darn it, I'm locked into this, you know. The parable of the prodigal son is fantastic cuz the father's game plan is to allow his son to see the consequence of his own actions. He actually gives him his inheritance early. We would call that enabling by modern standards, right? Like say, like sell my, your half of the estate that will eventually be yours. Give it to you, go explore. Uh, Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? Like, and that means let God handle it, right? If they're making bad choices, God is going to let them know. These are the natural consequences of sin. Prodigal actually just means wasteful with money. Fun little tidbit mm-hmm. that I didn't know till way late in life. Um, but you know, what's the natural consequence of being wasteful with money? you're going to end up eating out of a pig trough no matter how much food you have, which is, or how much money you have. So he ends up eating out of a pig trough, the natural consequence of a sin, right? The sin is being bad with money, and he's suffering because of that, right? Like, so it's, the 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 father didn't have to be the implementation of the punishment. Christians often want to be the implementation. They want to be like, Well, you're gay, so therefore I am going to punish you by not showing up to your wedding. You're gay, I'm you know, you're trans, so I'm no longer going to converse with you online.
1: Like I'm these are the natural those aren't natural consequences. Or, That's I will lie about God's you values. being a groomer already without any proof
0: yeah, or tell people like over the overthrowing of the groomer uh, boy is really telling and really falls flat on the the whole no judgment thing, right? Because the result of the prodigal son, what does the father do when the son leaves? He focuses inward. He builds back that part of the estate that he sold. He treats his servants really well. This is ultimately what ends up getting the prodigal son back. Is If his dad was harping over him while he's eating in a pig trough, do you think the kids get, I would rather eat out of a pig trough than go back into a home where I'm unwelcome, right? And like abused. If he's, and abused, right? Like and, and where hurtful things are said about me. Or even if there's just like – I would rather do that than live in a home where there's even a little bit of resentment like i just would not want to live with the constant idea that a family member is resentful of me right and then it extends all the way into you know it's maximum extent total abuse neg- neglect you know sure. hate yeah. all that and so the idea is what happens is the the son sees one of the servants and just goes man my dad treats people really well I want to go back, right? Even as a servant. And then, you know, you get into the rest of that. But the idea is how the father got the son back was by focusing on his own affairs. And then other people said, what's that about? Christ would have been nothing if all he did was set up camp outside of the Pharisees, like, you know, uh, synagogue and And yell at him. Right, yell at him, right? He goes out and does his own thing. The Pharisees end up having to come to him because he's such a problem. This is the Christian way of life, is not to constantly be picking at sinners, but constantly picking on sin. What is Christ doing? Well, he's healing Hunger. He's healing poverty. He's helping people. He's creating systems of relationships where he's repairing relationships with family members, things like that. Like he's going out and doing good as opposed to finding evil and just being anti-evil. This is where a lot of unfortunately anarchists sometimes lose their way is they become anti-government instead of pro-freedom and being anti-government is a necessary result of that. Right? Like, God doesn't love Satan, but ultimately, when Jesus confronts Satan, he doesn't say, Punch him in the face, he says, Get out of my way, I'm doing uh-huh. something here. Right? I've got it, I've got stuff to do. You need to move. Right? This is another great example of a Christian anarchist verse in the Bible when Christ, when Satan offers Christ all the political power in the world, which tells you who controls that political power when Satan's able yep. to give it away, and Christ says, No, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I'm, I'm gonna do this, I'm, I'm doing the way for my message to get forward is not through people bowing to me with political power the people the last point i I had on this that you brought up is history really reaffirms this when legionnaires or romans joined the church they quit their they had to it was understood by everybody from caesar to the common citizen that's like oh they became a christian oh they quit the legion oh they quit paying taxes they quit being romans right like same with the Jews, actually, when they wanted to jo- become part of this Christian movement, the term Christian came up, uh, up obvious later, but they were aware that if they were a Christ follower, that that would mean quitting their government capacities, quitting paying taxes, quitting um, their citizenship, essentially, right? Like, And this was kind of an understood part I, one of the things that's most important for me to understand the Bible, as I've come to try and learn to read Greek, try and learn to read, read Hebrew. There's a lot going on there, and it's very difficult. I love my interlinear Bible, but I I won't lie. I cl- I, I click on it a lot to say, okay, what what other times does the, do these words get used to help me understand the original language, um, and like make it English. But ultimately, the the general theme of it is. This is about you, you personally, and you can't have, you can't serve those two masters, like you said. You can't serve Caesar and Jesus. You can't serve them. Like it just doesn't work. You can't swear an oath even. That's very specifically pointed out. So much for the Pledge of Allegiance, right? And I was, uh, I was what they call a flaggot, I believe, for a very long time. I mean, up until like four or five years ago, until I read uh-huh. The Kingdom of God is Within You by Leo Tolstoy, and then realized, man, this is very specifically <laughs> called out. You can't swear an oath to anybody else besides God, it just can't be done.
1: Yeah. And of course, statism is full of like worshiping graven images and idols. And by its nature, you have to put uh, like the God of government before him. Yeah, like because if you don't, they'll come for you. <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing that, like, that makes government special um, in, in humanity. There's nothing that makes it special. So it's, it's like humans doing this stuff. And that means that humans are still bound by human laws and human judgments and shit. And so like when you end up, when you realize that it's bound by that humanity, government doesn't exist. It's a concept people created, a geist, as Max Stirner would call it, um, and it's this, like this, this idea of like what people can do once they exist under that umbrella. And when you take an idea um, and give it form and life, um, and like ascribe that idea with its form and life power over man, you've created a god. It's a religion. They have temples. They call, when January 6th happened, they were all up in their ass about like, oh, the sacred halls have been violated. You're not sacred, you're a human. There is nothing sacrosanct or holy or anything about your position. You've just chosen a god that people have created over every other god. Like, religions have to exist under the framework of the government. And governments routinely told other religions what they can and can't do, how they can and can't practice, because a government is a monopoly on devotion. A government is a monopoly on force. A government is a monopoly. So anything that comes in and tries to break that monopoly, especially something where the guys like going into your money changer temple and throwing them out with whips, um, that's going to bother the system. Because the system is a religious system, and you're bringing up a competing and much older religion.
0: Yeah, uh, just because we're on the subject, I, it was the first thing I thought of when there was that one, you know, that trans protester went, who went, well, not pro, activist, who was topless on the White House lawn when she was invited there. And yeah. the hilarious thing is everybody's like, oh, the, I mean, both <laughs> sides even, because she got she's no longer welcome there, like kicked out. And it's like, oh, the the dignity of that place has been defiled. And I'm like, this is the p- same place like interns that are barely 18 got cigars stuck in their hoo-hoo's. There's mm-hmm. nothing sacred or dignified about this location. The only, in fact, she just had the uh, unfortunate part of doing it publicly on the lawn, as opposed to in the actual Oval Office, where you know, if you sign a death, de- you know, a, a death squad to kill somebody, it's very dignified and very appropriate, right? Like it's just very... Yeah. It looks very good. You know, if you have cover sex with an sex intern and use your power coercively over an intern, as long as you keep it inside, oh, it's very, yes, it's very, you know, black-collar yeah. affair. It's very
1: nice. <laughs> yeah, you, you know. cover up the sex crimes of Epstein, you cover up MK oh. Ultra. you cover up anything, anything, you know? Yeah. Like – yeah
0: government is the idea of just outsourcing morality this is why christ was the completion of the laws because he can't do it right like this is you will never be able to outsource that morality that you have because government will have to collectivize people by being a monopoly they just have one way of dealing with everything they may get it right sometimes i don't shed any tears when like they shut down a you know a pedo ring and You know shoot 18 pedos like that happens sometimes but sometimes they do covering up stuff because they're humans and then other times even when it seems appropriate you know it's it's like the du example dui example i gave from earlier like it's a bad behavior but the way you you want to correct this behavior it requires knowing a person, right? Like read some psychology or love and logic books. If the idea is to make these crimes not happen anymore, there's no collective way to handle it. Like anybody who's raised children knows that, Your same tactics don't work on the same kids. They respond differently to different things. Even if they came from the same two parents, they just are different. And so finding out what makes them tick and relating to them on that level will work. Government is a one-size-fits-all. Oh, we've decreed that this is bad, so we're going to deal with it the same way, even at its best. Even at its best, when it's actually punishing real crimes with real victims and, like, really actually spending the welfare money correctly and et cetera, et cetera, even at its best, it fails because it's like some people don't need welfare money. Some people need companionship. And then that inspires them to get a job and support themselves. Some people need like people just need different things and government just is never going to be able to uniquely tailor an experience from person to person.
1: You know, it's just yeah. it's just not going to work. Well, and and also like even if we're talking like general solutions, it's yeah. already been laid out that cuz the thing is um with DUI specifically, it's one of the things I'm going to have Drew Cook on near the end of July. Um, and I've been on, uh, like, a uh, program with him. I think I was on a program with him before. Um, and basically, he, he runs the Sober Caucus, and he sees quite a lot of value in my mm. particular approach and message in this re- regard. And the, the, like, mentality in this regard is that addiction is the result of the cage you're kept in. Addiction is the result of, like feeling trapped, um, in an environment that it's not conducive to your mental health. And so these governments, they'll, yeah, sure. They'll punish a DUI. They'll impound the car so that they can like sell it for money. <laughs> yep. They'll, you know, quant- they'll, um, take your, 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 your possessions through, you know, um, Oh, man, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's that that type of like asset seizure where like
0: civil asset forfeiture,
1: after, yeah. asset forfeiture, yeah, where they'll like, um you know, they'll say that you committed a crime. So, you know, or this was involved in trafficking. So we'll just say that you're guilty and we'll take your money. They'll do all this road <laughs> pirate stuff. And not but- only are you guilty, the implement used is guilty. Like, yeah. it's
0: actually listed as, like, the state of Kentucky versus Brian's car. Like,
1: it's yeah. Just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and, and so, like, all of this stuff, like, it, it has very clear corruption, like, structure built in. It has ve- – it, but it's not actually going to help the individual. What's going to help the individual is stopping economic decline, is getting more jobs in the region – is getting more social services so that these people don't have nothing to fall back on. Is uh, like lessening and eventually eliminating government so that these people aren't constantly oppressed and they can rise up in their own way. Is doing all these things to like improve the cage, making like give giving the, the like not just having cities that are designed uh, oppressively with like anti-homeless architecture everywhere. And, you know, like, uh, like nothing to do and nobody to do it with, um, you know, the more it it was rat park, you know, the more like exposure that they gave the rats to a better lifestyle, the, uh, more they allowed the rats to fuck, the more that they allowed the rats, like their freedom, uh, the less they went to the Coke bottle, to the cocaine bottle, um because they knew what the cocaine bottle was and they knew that it would make them feel better about their bad circumstance. So they went and felt artificially good since there wasn't a way to feel genuinely good. The cage improved and then suddenly they like, their addiction dropped barely any access to the Coke water at all until eventually not at all. They found out that if, and, and it's the same with people, you give them a better life, you stop being oppressive Suddenly, they don't want to escape.
0: Right. What, what was the way that Christ got Zacchaeus to stop collecting taxes or Mary Magdalene to stop prostituting herself? In neither instance does he actually even mention their sin. He eats with them. He spends time with them. He provides them with a new community. He gives them a new outlook and a new way of life. And then they just – they decide to leave on their own. Zacchaeus offers up on his own, I need to give this money back that I stole. Not once does Christ need to condemn the sin, right? Like, uh-huh. And this is, this is so critical to what you're talking about because, I mean, it just – we know it in real life examples. When somebody is addicted to drugs and the government catches them – they get isolation we take away their opportunities we we put them in an environment that is hostile you got to kick somebody's ass you know every day to survive what happens when you catch your kid doing dr- doing drugs or in an addiction and you want them to get better you do the exact opposite you you bury them with opportunities you increase their opportunities their education you get mm-hmm. them help you get, you surround them with people that are going through that same struggle you know you you the uh I mean, what's it in Portugal they even said it was really wild, but, like, um that, like, gregariousness seems to be the biggest, like, the best cure to addiction that they know of. Like, being part of a group. Yes. And be- belonging in a circle, ten- like, is better than any therapy or drug or whatever that they can give them to get them off of their addiction. For sure. And wouldn't that be the same with sin? Because... Satan's trying to put us in shackles, right? He wants us to make decisions that limit our opportunities, that limit our thoughts because he wants us to be miserable. I mean, the devil wants to be miserable like unto him, right? just says it. So like if the devil wants us to be miserable by being enslaved and taking away our our opportunities, then what we can do is is be, be the opposite, provide a community. Right. If you're a Christian and you've got somebody who's lost in sin, if you are railing against their sin, let's just say the sin is legit. Like, let's let's not even take a controversial sin. Let's just say theft. Right. Because we're obviously going to get like people hear sin nowadays and they're like, oh, what? Somebody's gay again. Somebody's trans again. Let, let's let's talk about theft. Something that everybody knows is sin, right. And they're stealing from people. Is the solution to that to lock them up in prison, take away their opportunities, make sure that they can do less things in society, make sure they have less people to hang out with, put them in a situation where people neglect them frequently, malnourish them, uh, put them, give them, force them to do labor that is vastly underpaid compared to what they actually provide? Are these really good ideas for fixing theft, or is the best thing to do to say, hey, you don't have to steal? I have a coat for you. You don't have to steal. I have people who would like to talk to you. Even if I know you're going to go out and steal tomorrow. You know what? You want to spend tonight with me? You want to spend next week with me? You know, you want to hang out with me? You want to be part of this Christian community that makes you feel good? And then all of a sudden, when you start realizing there's good people in the world, your desire to harm other people plummets. Like -hmm. you just kind of say, I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. We get the example of the Good Samaritan. And what we get here is an example. The Good Samaritan... Parable is given a, as a, in the answer to a question of who goes to heaven. The guy wants to know. The guy's like, well, being a good neighbor, right? So, what's the good neighbor look like? And Christ very intentionally uses a non Christian or a non Jewish person a Samaritan, a non-believer as an example of somebody who will get into the kingdom of heaven and two believers who will not get into the kingdom of heaven because of the way they treat other people, people that are harm and hurting and struggling. And that, when we say God is love, God is not being like hyperbolic in that sense. When, When he says, in as much as you did to serve these people, you did it unto me. He's being quite literal. He spells it out many times to say that loving people, treating them well, loving your neighbors is how you serve God. This is how you prove you love God. You can't. It's not enough to just say I love Jesus, but behave in a judgmental, hateful, whatever way. It's an action. And the action is performed with everyone around you. God is not. You shall be known. What?
1: By your fruits, you shall be known
0: by their yeah by their fruits you shall know them i mean this is like the last thing this is the last tidbit we get from like god before he ascends again right is like this is these are the great people to look out for right is these people that are doing these great things to other people this is how christ himself served his father was not by loneliness. And you know, I, and I don't want to diss on certain things because I think things like prayer are so critical. But the way that he showed his father he loved him was deeply ingrained in showing people that he loved him. It is inseparable to the point of being the same. And so when we say, oh, I have to condemn this, I have to condemn that, I have to condemn these people, you are not Even if you think you're right, you're not witnessing in the way Christ witnessed. And ultimately, his way was more effective than what you're doing, right? Like, you were coalescing people. You may get big groups of angry, hateful incels together or, you know, right-wing – I mean, and and I don't want to stick to only bashing on right-wing Christians because there's some kooky – people who remember Jeremiah Wright and all that business. There's some Mm. kooky left-wing like religious folks out there too. But you build these communities on this false gospel that does, and we can tell because I don't have to go into the minutiae with you, I can tell by the way you live that you're preaching a false gospel because the way the ministry works, I have seen from Christ himself. And until you do that, there's no reason for me to say that you know what the truth is, because you're not living it. So why would I take your authority on the matter?
1: Yeah, well, and also, when a lot of these people, like, they they approach the subject, they're approaching the subject as, I don't like it, so it has to stop. Instead of approaching the subject as, um, I'm here to serve as a vessel for a message. Um, they'll try to crush it instead of, Um, You know, instead of proving that an alternative lifestyle is better, um, they won't prove anything. They don't need to because they have government power or power in general. Like, for instance, um, Michael Knowles at the the, the Daily Wire um, and his speech to CPAC where he said we have to eradicate transgenderism from public life. First off, his weaseling out of that later by saying that, no, I just talked about the ism. Now, these are people. You can't eradicate the ism without eradicating the people. If anybody said, I'm going to eradicate Christianity from public life, they would be very upset about that because they would be like, how do you do that without eradicating Christians? Oh, I fucking wonder. You know, and then you end up with Matt Walsh also at the Daily Wire, like calling everybody else groomers and saying, you know, what is a woman and hijacking these issues and being like, oh, yeah, you know what? Also, 16 year old girls are adults and it should be acceptable to fucking impregnate them as long as you're married. You know, there's issues in as these long as the places. state
0: says you're married.
1: Right? Yeah. And, and I mean, like, and to
0: your point earlier, what you said about the plank in your eye well, okay, Christians, take a second. Let's totally not think about politics at all for a second. Just look at what institutions are grooming people the most right now. If grooming people is an issue for you.
1: Public schools.
0: That plank is right in your eye, Christians. It is faith and it is not even is faithful institutions and it's not even close. Right. So before you start protesting all those drag shows, which some of them you should there shouldn't be kids at them. I'm not even going to debate that. There's there's a few, right? There are some where it's like drag queen story hour where they're just having fun relax right like nobody's showing anything gross so i'm not even saying that you need to give you need to uh, like oh all kids should be at drag shows and it's okay and you should shut up about it there are some that are clearly sexual in content and clearly meant for adults please don't bring your kids there yeah people screw this up on the other side but what does jesus tell us get that plank out of our own eye first before we deal with those drag shows that we're really concerned about even if you think you're rightfully concerned christians you got the most pedophilia and grooming coming from Christians, coming from religious institutions, and you well, it, you gotta I'll, end that first, man. You got to end that first. Go
1: ahead. A lot more from them than LGBT, but to be clear, there there are more like documented instances in public schools and the foster care system. That of, is like, also, yeah, yeah, that's I, true. It, the number
0: one place you're most likely to get molested or whatever is in a public school or.
1: Just yeah. just to be absolutely fair, because like that's true. It, so but then, I was looking you know, at you're... grooming
0: in terms of like growing up to marry them, you know, yes, which doesn't often sure. happen in public school. You know, this is this yeah. is more often the church thing. Go ahead.
1: Well, and, and also in, in general instances of of like pedophilia, it's because the structure is believed over the kid. And because of that mechanism of authoritarian mindset and mentality, which also goes to support the state so much of the time, um, like, that's why even the Catholic Church is full of it. Even Protestant churches are full of it. It's because, like, they're not willing to listen to the individual. They're not willing to suffer the children to come unto me. They're, like, going to protect their, like, structure because their structure is what's financially benefiting them or giving them power or clout or whatever. And it's, you know, like, this is the same with that CPAC, like, that daily wire mentality of uh, we're going to control people and form a conservative government in order to force our, like, mentalities on the world. And that's how we're going to manifest our religion, you know, instead of being like, hey, maybe this power and this structure is the reason, uh, Matt Walsh says, no, they don't have a pedophilia problem in the Catholic church. They have a gay priest problem. Mm. Um, you know, instead of accepting that maybe there's a power problem here, maybe the real problem is that they've created structures that aren't accountable because they've created structures that are fundamentally designed to force a view on the world and they don't want to lose that power. So instead they'll talk about eradication, you know, Yeah, Uh, this
0: this is so deeply tied into the conversation, of the difference between a religion and a cult, like if you're in religion or if you're in a cult, because a cult will do something that benefits the group. People tend to think cult, and they think cult of personality. Disavow yourself of that notion for a moment, because really the bigger cult that we're uh, – and those exist, but the idea that I'm talking about specifically is the cult that has to do with – with um with with the concept what you choose it's not the difference between a cult, a cult of personality and just you know the normal cult is you'll do anything to make sure the structure comes out looking as best as possible mm-hmm. so like Now, this would be the equivalent of Christ trying to defend all the bad things that the Pharisees and Sadducees and stuff were doing and their and their religion and their uh, political affiliations with uh, and deals with, you know, the Romans as well as with their local governors and then going, well, you know, they're doing the best they can. And, you know, you don't understand their point of view, no at some point, this is saying I am trying to save Judaism by killing off these notions, right? This is – if we actually intend to save Christianity, we should not be defending some of these sick people. And I'm aware that, like, there are some critics who are just they'll – criti- they'll criticize Christianity about anything. Again, as soon as you start to think that about the other side, where are you supposed to focus? On them or on you, right? Focus on your own plank. Maybe they can never be convinced. That's on them. Let them – decide if they'll never be convinced. But your job is to say, okay, what can I do to fix this up? Right now my faith is messing – not my my faith. My religious institutions are messing up these things, which is mm-hmm. making it difficult for practitioners of my faith to operate in an honest and good way. And so when you are – when I criticize Christianity, I'm not even close to being anti-Christian. But I issue a lot of stinging criticism against Christianity because that's my circle. Right. Do I have as many or more complaints about the – you know, what, what, let's say some typical fundamentalist Islam faith thinks, of course, but mm-hmm. I don't belong, I don't change them. I'm an outside force. I'm not a gear in their system. I am a gear in the tri- in the Christian system. So right. what we do need to do if we're going to save Christianity as as a, as Christians ourselves is to focus that inward and to say like, Hey, we've got these and these and these problems. We need to fix these up. You know, let's stop looking at other people and start looking at ourselves for a moment.
1: Well, and also that outward like thrust oftentimes redirects energy and divides people uh, unnecessarily. Like the the, the whole idea of, you know, dealing with your own plank, it ends with the idea that a house divided against itself cannot stand. The idea that, you know, if. If your church is unwilling to, you know, properly uh, deal with its bad elements, it's going to fail. So if you want the long-term success of your church, you can't have it be divided against its own purpose, against itself. Um, And if it is, uh, then you need to do something about that. Or you need to build a house on a better foundation and, you know, get a better church Um, or build a better church or... You know, all these, because then you'll have a united house, not divided against its purpose, and you'll be able to push forward. If you don't, it's going to collapse. Yeah, absolutely.
0: This is, uh, these are foundational teachings of the church. And the reason people want the gospel to more explicitly talk about anarchism, and I understand that. But the thing is, is it's not... Anarchism in itself is just a lack of something. And what uh-huh. the gospel tries to do in a faith is to create something. We're trying to create a moral a moral understanding. I don't want to say code because the point of code is then all of a sudden you get stuck into the law. And as Paul says, by the law, you're condemned. As soon as you try to justify yourself by laws... That's when you're in trouble, right? So not necessarily code so much, but we try to create moral fabrics and understandings and building systems, as opposed to just going off and off about how these all, all these systems are bad. Now all those systems are bad, right? Like no, I I don't have a pro-government bone in my body. I will never defend them, but at the same time, I don't want to get stuck into the idea what I what I talked about earlier—the protester waving the flag outside of the the Pharisees, you know synagogue because that's where they want you right they've got you right when they want you when the, you do that because just doing the opposite or protesting whatever the bad people do is still letting them control you you just say i'm just going to do the opposite whatever you do and that's not really the way it's supposed to be we're supposed to be focused on creating our own system the the like right. the father of the prodigal son um this is not necessarily a new concept to christianity i think one of the interesting things is uh i was reading a book recently but i can't remember if it was rocker booked him. but talking about the jewish anarchists and they were like the number of jewish anarchists in oh yeah it was uh it was a biography about rocker and uh, the number of jewish anarchists in germany was like greater than the rest of the anarchists combined and greater than the number of jews combined that were not anarchists like that was a huge movement now the reason being is we have in judges where the very last verse of judges fascinating thing just or just says so. All this didn't work, right? Us deciding who's in charge, and so for a while there, we just let people do what they thought was good, and mm-hmm. it worked, right? They they lived according to themselves. This goes all the way till Samuel eight, where unfortunately Samuel eight or uh, first Samuel eight, they beg for a king, and God lets them have it with every bit of warning of what what government looks like. Um, gives a long list of things that are downright prophetic. He's going to tax you, you're going to be poorer, you're not going to have control of your kids, they're going to send them to the military, they're going to, you know, all these natural problems that come with having a government, and God warns them, and ultimately they end up deciding that they want it anyway, and as God is prone to do, allows us will to choose, and so unfortunately we chose this terrible, terrible path. But you know the the Jewish anarchy movement is huge. It's foundational, and it translates to to Christian anor- anarchy by Jesus not overturning any of that established understanding. Um, Christ is very, uh, in fact, uh, Nietzsche <laughs> uh, once said that um, uh, Christian he doesn't differentiate beca- between Christian- Christianity and anarchy because they are one and the same. Um, that that like they're they're synonymous words. And uh, it's him and um, oh, there was some other French philosopher who said the same thing, but now he was not a fan and of Christianity and, or anarchy, and neither was like you know. Uh, well, Rudolf Rocker was a fan of anarchy, was not a fan of Christianity. But they recognized that these early. I, I bring up the critics because even the critics recognized that the Christians were anarchists. Like it's not possible to deny at least as far as the primitive church now what has that been morphed into well with some bad interpretations of like romans 13 and a few select verks verses again this is why it's important for us when we talked about the beginning with paradoxy when we understand what looks does this override everything else when we read romans 13 and it says submit to the authorities And pay your taxes. Does this now override what Jesus said about not paying your taxes and what he did in his life about not submitting to the authorities? Or is it maybe very badly misinterpreted, which is in fact very much the case? Uh, I wanted to slip in a comment about Romans 13 here because I think it's the natural, it is the most common criticism of Christian anarchy, and rightfully so, because it sounds very Pro government, right? Like you read Romans 13, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is all big on government. Okay. First of all, Romans 13. It's in the context of Romans 12. And these verses, I, I encourage you now, if you use an interlinear Bible, open it up, look at the original languages. The word tax is revisionist. And revisionist means that like some people got a hold of the Bible later and decided to insert what they wanted the language to be.
1: You mean a, be a version there. that has the word king in it that was designed to benefit? A king?
0: No kidding, right? Yeah, so these
1: verses, like,
0: uh, if you look at the oldest translations we have of that, the word that they use for tax, and then look at that word and try to find it anywhere else in the Bible, and you won't be able to find it except in a place that mentions it in terms of tribute, meaning giving somebody their fair due, right? So you pay somebody their fair dues. Now, I'm a very left-brained person. I enjoy old languages, you know, piecing them together and stuff like that the the difference is like uh knowing the theme of the bible does romans 13 sound like it fits within the theme within your current interpretation and if it doesn't and it shouldn't then maybe it's time to take a deeper dive into what romans 13 is actually explaining the it's badly interpreted and and just on its face it said the it says the authorities are only there to do you good right like Okay, so first of all, if you think he's talking about government and that means governments have only acted to your benefit, I got some news for you about government, right? Like, yeah, and this is so even if we say, let's give let's give the critics the <laughs> maximum benefit here and say that they are talking about government, then every government we have on earth is invalid by trying to hold them to the standards of Romans 13. You would not pay tribute to them because tribute is not owed to them. I would not pay a, you know, something to them because they don't deserve anything. You mm-hmm. know I don't owe them anything, so I'm not going to give them anything. If they acted only for people's good and they've never harmed anybody, which is the standard in, the, in Romans 13 itself, this is the standard, if we were to interpret that as government, is that they never hurt an innocent person and they only act to heal people. Well, then I would probably pay that government and would very much disagree with you calling it government. Like, if they actually fulfilled that criteria. But they don't, right? So, like, Romans 13 kind of acts as an invalidating of governments on its own. the, The further you dig into Romans 13, the more ridiculous it becomes, and you kind of begin to realize that it was, as you said, Jeremy, it was included in there by a king who wanted to make sure his kingship looked good the bible's actually been very remarkably well protected um and that's simply because it was distributed to so many different places and so we actually do have a lot of luxury in being able to say oh here's when and where the revisionists did it and in this case with romans 13 we actually have that exact example as bibles and other places translated into different languages specifically are like that's that's a bad interpretation
1: you know. Well, also, and th- th- then there's the other, like, half of that, which is that um, Romans 13 is in Romans, and that was not written by Jesus. That was written by Paul, if I recall correctly, and it was a letter yep. to the Romans. Yes. And he was writing these letters because the Christians in Rome were being persecuted, and they were, like, under the boot of an authoritarian government. And they were, like, being killed. And the point of these verses was to send a coded message to them to say that, yeah, these governments aren't in accordance with God. Um, And if they were, you wouldn't be experiencing this. So for now, understand that they use this money to control you. And that you shouldn't, like, build up your treasures on earth. So that they can, the governments of the Earth can use it as a leash to keep you there. Um, instead, what you should do is you should keep with your program, God and His existence and His plan for you, um, and then you know, don't allow yourself to be controlled by this government, by their money system, by, and then you'll have like, peace in these turbulent times you might not be killed for your faith because you'll be practicing it in a way that doesn't get you killed just run your program make sure you don't die and preach the word you know that's what romans was about um and the whole idea was how to live with like the persecution with the authoritarianism it wasn't hey, authoritarianism and persecution are great, keep it up, fund that, do do everything you <laughs> right. can to make sure that Christians are continually fucked with. Uh, it was, yeah, this environment does suck, so bide your time and understand that if they do off you, your kingdom is in heaven.
0: Right. Yeah, there's... Uh when we talk about the gospel and it's it being the word of God, I do believe divinely inspired. I think there's at times, and I don't want to sound anti-Christian about this, but it's important to recognize there are points in the gospels that contradict each other. They they're talking about the same parts of the, you know, parts they're talking about the same story and they get some of the words different. The thing is they get the theme, right? Which is the important part, right? Like when I remember, when I think of the book, um, All Quiet on the Western Front, for example. I don't remember a single character's name from that. I don't remember many instances from that. I remember the theme of the book, which is sending young men to war is terrible for their psyche and a very large travesty of war, right, that we don't like to think of the costs of these human beings that are at war. When we think of the theme of the gospel, you may be able to find an occasional moment here or there, but you ask yourself, why is this moment included? There's one part in the Bible where Paul actually says, me personally, I don't permit women to teach, but that's me personally. And he actually, cl- he prefaces that whole bit by being like, me personally, this is what I think. Okay, thank you for your contributions, Paul. I, I, I appreciate the reasons why you think that and the reasons that you give here, but he leaves open the ability for you to disagree with him. And so when we have these slight differences in the gospels, specifically like look at the Easter story and in Uh between the four different gospels, the, the, the sequence of events just doesn't line up between all four of them. Does that mean that the Bible is no longer divinely inspired or no longer good or no longer? It is. I mean, nobody almost, I I haven't seen anybody argue inerrancy for a very long time. So that debate's kind of out the window. That being said, it's still a great thing to use. It's a great tool. What we can do is kind of interpret, as you said, Jeremy, why is the reason Paul saying this? Maybe it's so that they don't die. You know, the reason they include the Easter story, the theme is Jesus is back from the dead. As far as whether Mary got there first, the apostles got there first, or, or, or if Jesus, you know, rose and then showed himself, and then they went to the tomb, you know what, like all these different things. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is when Jesus is, uh, heals on the Sabbath, another instance where he breaks the law. And he's like, would you let your own son die? Like if he uh-huh. was stuck in a well on the Sabbath, right? Because you're not supposed to work. So oh no, he's stuck in the mud. That verse gets changed in each of the gospels. And one time they're like, would you let your donkey get stuck in there? And the other would like, would you let your ox die. But the point is, you're not going to let a living thing drown just because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So the theme is there, right? So this is really critical to our personal faith. Again, I've specified we have moments in the Gospels that were not proclaimed to humanity, that were only proclaimed to a specific individual, but we use them as universal truths. Let's take another example of something that we've never had debunked, right? Nobody has been specifically told not to mix fabrics anymore. There is no Christian and almost no Jewish person alive that still adheres to that, right? Because we are aware that the purpose of that is gone, right? And I could get into why that verse was included at oh, all. The, I, I find the history of it all fascinating. But the idea is that if you pray about it and you feel like, you know what? I don't feel like it's a sin to have cotton and polyester on at the same time. That is as valid. Look at my sinful
1: outfit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Wickedness. Look at. I think those headphones are made of a mix of plastic and metal. I. I don't know, Jeremy. I don't. (laughs) So we just kind of we kind of go when you pray about it personally. That is your walk with God, and that is as valid as the Bible itself. So if you want to, if you doubt anything that me or Jeremy are talking about here today. The personal challenge I give to Christians is pray about it, S- you know, study, sure, but think about it. Wrestle with your conscience that God has given you and and just kind of say, is this true and it, or is it not? And if you disagree with me, great. I, I, my authority is nil. I have none. Right, God is the only authority, and I am simply here as somebody who loves him and cares about him, and I'm sharing what I believe to be true, but that gives me no authority over your moral journey. As much as I say don't outsource your morality to government, don't outsource your morality to me. Don't outsource your morality or your mom or your dad or your church or your kids. Don't outsource your morality to anybody. Have this be something that's personal to you, so when you read something like Romans thirteen, you know i I challenge you know the gaze in the Bible. There's a handful of verses. I've gone over all of them. I've done kind of the very left brain experiment with them, right where i I, I analyze the exact verbiage, and it's like, well, the word used here, you know with man lying with another man is the same word that's used when like, Noah's son saw him naked right so it's like well obviously they didn't have sex so like Mm -hmm. you know and and I've done all that work on a left brain level but like on a very personal I I call it right brain but I just think on a more honest level the best thing to do is just sit down and pray and just say does this really matter or is this going to end up being another kosher law because kosher law seems to matter a lot in the bible until it doesn't And what Mm -hmm. happens? What's the rationale given? The rationale is not, let me explain to you why those laws existed and why they don't. No, it's, I made it clean. There are plenty of times in the Old Testament where they get a law. Uh, I like the example of the the spy in Jericho, right, who helps, or I guess technically a prostitute, who helps the others escape. And they're like, well, I know the practice is to put people to death. That's what we have written. And they go to God with this, and God's like, are you out of your mind? Mm -hmm. You're going to kill somebody that helped you? I thought that was your law. Well, it's not, right? So now what are you going to do, right? So we had a law in writing. We have laws like don't not walk next to women on their periods in writing. Don't mix fabrics in writing. The last sentiment we actually have in the Gospels about the Sabbath is not to leave your house, and it's very clear that even but like well beyond the time of Christ, people were leaving their house for the Sabbath, right? Like it just these things just changed. And why? Because not because anybody, there was no edict from God, there was no direction from on high. People just prayed about it, thought about it, and were like, you know what? That doesn't seem to matter. And and there's a very unhealthy way to do this. Like, and the the reason I strongly encourage prayer is because some people do this and then all of a sudden they encourage sinful behavior. Which is, oh, there's no such thing as sexual immorality. So you having sex with your dog is totally okay. Yeah. No, 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 none of that now. But if you pray about it and it's like, man, like you are going to get a bad feeling about theft the more that you stew with the concept of theft and think about theft, the more that you think about who you're hurting, the more you explore that, and when you sit in prayer and contemplation with God, that truth will be revealed to you that you should not covet and take stuff that isn't yours. I know that to be true. That's going to happen. It's it's in your spirit. And the, it might not be part of the natural man because kids steal all the time. But as you get in touch with your spirit, which is why it's so important to have faith, you know, or, or even if it's not the Christian faith, to have some kind of faith, that you have an attachment. There's something inside of you that says, all of a sudden, I don't like punching my brother in the face because he has an ice cream cone and I don't. You know, And it feels good to all of a sudden say, I'm glad my brother has found joy. I hope that joy will come to me one day in the form of another ice cream cone. And so the, the challenge that I want to give anybody that ever listens to me or anybody else for that matter is to just mull it over, pray it over with God, really give it some thought, give it some study too. All this is important. But come to a conclusion that maybe isn't necessarily spelled out for you, because this is really what I wanted to hammer on with Christian anarchy is it's we condemn the law, but we also condemn theocratic law in addition to political law. that there's Mm -hmm. not a single you look at God's resistance to give the Ten Commandments, for example. Now I believe he does so because the people are dying for generalities, and he even says himself, "You got to spoon feed people some baby food before they grow up." Right? So you get this early infancy see, infancy of laws. Like generally speaking, it's bad to steal. It's bad to use the Lord in the name in vain. It's bad to cheat. You know, all these other things. But then we have several exceptions. It's bad to lie, but when they when Saul comes to kill David in the dead of night and they lie and say, Oh yeah, that's him in his bed there, he's at home, that's a God-approved lie. So that's not to say lying is great, but this is why when you say, Oh, I don't think lying is good, but at the same time me telling the truth would get somebody killed, I need to spend a moment and think about this oh, I think washing your hands is a good idea, but executing all 12 apostles because they didn't wa- wash their hands before they ate, let me pray about this. And what what solution do I think I'm going to come to? What's the answer there that I'm going to come up with? Because it's never, it's not, not every bit is going to be dictated to you. We're lucky we have the bit about kosher law being overturned because that was given to one person, one person alone. And we're lucky that we have decided to take that person's personal testimony and share it. In essence, this is the importance of church. We share testimonies. Jeremy shares stuff that he learned through his faith that is not explicitly in the gospel, shares it with me and I can take his wisdom or leave it if it's really terrible. But generally, Jeremy has really great (laughs) wisdom and I can take his wisdom and incorporate it. And then I can share my wisdom with him because we're not, as it says with the spiritual gifts, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all come to the same understandings. The only way to make our faith more complete is to share, is to go back and forth and just be like, man, when I pray about this, even if I think these anti-gay verses are really hardcore anti-gay verses, I think they've gone the way of kosher law. Like I just, and maybe that's the conclusion you come to. I won't use a type of authority to say that that is definitively what happened, but I would rather challenge everybody individually because I think that's the stronger conclusion is to not say Hody John says it's okay for gay people to be Christians, but for you and your personal walk and faith to say I've wrestled with this I think they can be Christians. And I think that that is the way for Christianity going forward is individual empowerment over collective cultism. Right. And that individualism, I think, is core to anarchy.
1: Go ahead. And like, then if Christians were really about following the Bible on every letter, they would not b- behave remotely the way they do. For instance, yeah. let's talk about public prayer. Let's talk about the fact that there's a whole like set of verses that says that you're not supposed to pray in public. You're supposed to, you know, you're, you're not supposed to pray in public. You're supposed to pray in a closet. You're supposed to go to a closet and pray there um, instead of saying it to anyone else. Your prayer is supposed to be an individual journey and it's not supposed to be shared with other people there is not supposed to be a collective prayer there isn't supposed to be a collective worship there's supposed to be a like you know a, a personal journey and a personal decision and then you get together to discuss things you don't get together to have performative acts of prayer and worship and giving large sums of money and all of this stuff that's designed to make you look good and seem good and make the people imitating you feel good, the whole point of it is is that it's a personal walk. And so if Christians really felt that way, they would disavow uh, 99.9% of pastors now. Yes. But they're not going to because they're not willing to follow their own scriptures uh, to the letter Uh, And because if they chose to do that, it would condemn them as well, because they have also done the public prayer. They have also done the very public displays of, you know, there should be a box in your church. You should be able to put money in that box completely anonymously. Uh, th- there shouldn't be like a bag you're passing around the church so that you can guilt somebody about it later if they didn't tithe the way you wanted. There shouldn't be a coffer that you're passing around where somebody can show off with like, a, a oh, I put a grand in the coffer because I made some bank this week. You know, that's literally the, the the way people like participate in church is antithetical to the letter as it's written and to the words directly of Jesus. So All of these things, you know, CLI, for instance, Christian Licensing International, where they'll say, hey, yeah, you know what? We made this awesome worship music. Um, You can pay us a huge amount of money a year for the privilege of rehearsing it. You have to pay them to rehearse their music and then for the privilege of playing it and for the privilege of using our slideshows to show people the lyrics. um, That's insane. But it makes people like Hillsong a ton of money, you know. It yeah. makes people like with with very specific, uh, yeah. like canned corporate, like like barely mentions Bible verses at all music, uh, a lot of money. So they're not going to stop it. They're not going to stop anytime you it, like. It, people should look up CLI. It's 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 like a money-changing temple on the internet that you can go to right now to go exchange large sums of money for the privilege of worshiping what um so it's like the church has directly gone against jesus in so many ways and if they were really serious about their condemnations and their judgments uh the first thing they would do is shut the fuck up the first thing they would do is like actually be christian and follow their own strictures and scriptures and stop talking because their mouth isn't doing anything that their body, like, can back up. They're they're writing checks their body can't cash.
0: Uh, You are so spot on with this. The the modern Christian movement is just... and, And you know what? A lot of religions get this wrong. I mean, just people are people, right? But there is a part in the Bible where they watch a Pharisee pour a bunch of money in there very publicly. Right. First of all, it's money that he got from other people. So that's anyway, you know, he's reinvesting it into (laughs) himself. This is is reinvesting into himself. Right. And Jesus is like, Oh my gosh, this guy. And he watches another woman give her last bit over to the coffers and was like, that woman's donation is the one that matters now some people think that jesus just meant this as being like her what she gave you know proportionately and this isn't necessarily wrong interpretation but just you know what she gave was proportionately more meaningful than what the other guy gave it's also true however i would actually challenge that i believe that woman's money goes further there's a guy named george miller it's spelled Muller because he was German or something European, um, who ran an orphanage without collecting money. Um, People would give it to him, but he made a specific policy to never ask for it. He -hmm. wrote a book. It's fascinating. And it is the book that got kids – I don't know how many people know this, but they got kids out of prison because that's what they would do with orphans and put them into these homes where people would care about them until somebody could – could or would adopt it, or actually what he did was they grew up to live on their own, right? And in some cases would just receive nothing, but then like as things would run out, and it's written as a diary, so you have to understand that when things are running out, he's not looking at this in retrospective. This, He's like, our money's about to run out, like what people donate is going to run out. I, I don't have food for tomorrow, like I just, I got no plans for it. And God saw to it that something would happen constantly, would give these people food. And Miller is, I understand that this is one of those things that a lot of uh, modern Christians claim to have happened. but this is not a huckster. I mean, this is a guy who was very legitimately, um, he was true to his faith and it it played out for him. So if you really have that faith in the gospel, you don't need a cent to do what is good. I want to stress that Jesus, when he died, created a religion that calling it a cult would be kind because that would be very nice to the size of the adherents of that cult. They were very fringe. There were very few of them. What Christ sacrificed in popularity, he made up for it in effectiveness, and that's what worked in the long run. You're going to see these big-shot Christian movements pop up because they spent $3 billion on an ad campaign, and it's huge, and it's lighting the world on fire. I even kind of like that he gets his ads, to be honest. But frankly, the thing is, is this is a flash in the pan, right? This is some pop, but there's no— this, there's no sizzle afterwards. there's no none yeah. of that constant growth, you know and so what happens when you've got a guy like like George Miller or like Jesus is they're willing to start small and end up only slightly bigger, you know and maybe just say maybe it doesn't look great. Listen, one of the things that I wish more anarchists as well as Christians would realize is if you convert, let's say two people over the course of your whole life to anarchy or Christianity. Now, in truth, we should never use the term we convert because people always reach it themselves. But if you assist in somebody reaching those conclusions, you've done it. Right. This is, the, this is the way it works. We want to believe that we get up on social media and we make that one magical tweet that goes mega viral and it gets shared by 6 million people. And they're like, oh my gosh, I get it. Christianity is right now. Or anarchy is right now. Or agorism is right now. It's never going to happen. Right. Like even if you do have a few of these where you say you do make a great tweet and two or three people come along. Right. And maybe there's a million people who are like, I agree with this sentiment, but I'm not really sold on it yet. You're planting seeds. Right. You're planting seeds. And the best effect you can do. Why did Jesus go personally to these towns? He could have said messages. Right. I mean, clearly writing was a thing. Paul did it. Right. Why did he go to meet people personally? Why did he go to their house and say, let me have dinner with you personally? Yep. Because this is the way change happens. It's a one-on-one thing. Why is Daryl Davis so successful against converting KKK members? While is a lot of very intelligent anti-race scientists aren't. Because they write a book. and And man, I don't want to trash talk it because this book is important. It creates an intellectual reason for why race science is garbage. That's great. But nothing compares to meeting with somebody one-on-one nothing mm-hmm. will compare to what the the influence you have over your family members or your friends over the people in your church or your close circles your neighborhood these are your people you start there right you mm-hmm. you you go and and you know what if you don't make a difference there maybe you need to find a different circle Jesus had to do this for example you know George Miller had to move around a little bit to to make things work out but find some circles where you say i'm actually making something of an impact here but the impact is going to look like one or two people as opposed to a million people at once because if you do something that seems to make a million people at once you're oftentimes just harvest like just grifting off of people that already existed
1: right and like, also th- like generalities yeah you're not getting specific you're not talking about their life you're making a message that's general enough that they can understand it no matter who they are. And that means yeah. they probably don't actually understand it.
0: Yeah. yeah, well said. That's what I'm going for. Is it's You make a personal connection. Jesus loves you. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus has sent me as his avatar on earth to show that he loves you. That's what it means. Jesus loves me is a general fact. Me showing up and helping somebody when they're out of food for their children, that's specific. That's going to make real change. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, hey, everybody, did you hear this guy from Galilee doing magic tricks, walking on water and stuff? It's so wild. Did nothing. Jesus showing Mm -hmm. up. And being like, oh, man, are you guys out of money? Let me help out. Or you guys had? let's share some food, guys. I think we got all the food between us. My goodness, could our society use some of that today? We have a lot of food in all of our communities that ain't winded up in the right hands,
1: you know? Or in ending the up of- in a bleach dumpster from the cops.
0: Ooh, I could go off on that for a bit. Uh, my, my rare times in the newspaper has been tangling with the cops in Ogden, Utah. I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I'm kind of proud of it but the uh i'll be proud of it yeah the uh the that is but that's the change right like showing up and donating those coats and tents when it was against the law to donate that's what happened here in ogden utah and me publicly saying i'm not going to obey the law now they didn't arrest me because i'm there's probably a lot of reasons, one of which is I'm probably white, <laughs> right? There could be various different reasons for this, but I very, was very public about it and was like, I'm going to donate these anyway. I was also not rude, right? I was also very, like, I'm not—my point wasn't to be anti-cop. It was to get these people food and supplies and— The cops, I had to be anti-cop because they were the ones enforcing that, right? Like, But my goal isn't to just yell outside the police station I just go out and do the work. That made a change in people's lives. That was a big deal. Me protesting outside a police station, that happens every day. It's Mm -hmm. run-of-the-mill. You're gonna get a lot more people to show up because a lot more people are willing to yell than are to actually make a difference, of course. Like, I mean, look at, I mean, any police, like, Have you ever seen any like police county online where it's like they almost rejoice in you hating them? Mm -hmm. Like they know they're going to get ratio. They they always post with like a little bag of cocaine and like a handgun. They're like, look what we took! Like they went on big game hunting. They always get crucified. Everyone hates them for it, but they're rubbing it in your face because you can't. Who cares, right? Like, oh no, you're going to do about it, right? But we do it anyway, right? Versus what are are the do you think those cops are talking big trash when those ones was it i think it was chicago but where they arrested that guy for weed and they their car got surrounded and they busted the guy out got him out of cuffs and got his weed and the cops had to run away with the tail truck tucked between their legs yep that is a real difference that all of a sudden when every community member is coming out of their house when they start to see an arrest you look at the origins of stonewall and pride right like it didn't change when they were only picking on the gays. That night at Stonewall, Stonewall, they had well more than enough cop cars to arrest all the gay people at the club. It was when the straight people said, "I'm not going to let you pick on them anymore." Uh-huh. That's when all of a sudden it became a real deal. Before then, it was a show of pride. It was I was gonna, I was prepared to arrest three or four, but sure, I'll arrest seventy. I'm a big man. I'm a cop. Uh oh, are you going to arrest the whole city? Uh oh, now I can't. And this yes. is this is the kind of change that we need to be willing to make. Is the get out of your home and actually make a difference kind of change? There are plenty of people who are willing to yell and be angry, who will call you to rage, and they will be more popular than you. That's just the nature of this
1: world, is that they will be more popular than you. But speak in generalities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like they don't. They're banal. They don't get. Like I have this list. Uh, I I said it on Twitter um, in March. I said. Honestly, if you still support Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Ken Ham, TD Jakes, yeah. Joyce Meyer, Brian Houston, Pat Robertson, Jesse Duplantis, Jerry Saville, Creflo A Dollar, Paul Jan Crouch, or Mark Barkley, you're willfully blind or in on the hustle. Facts. Like, these people are hustling Christians. They're not actual Christians. You know, and so they'll they'll preach their message of hate. Or they'll preach their message of like banal, non biblical acceptance of various things, or they're pre they, but they, they won't ever like get granular enough because they can't, they can't while still making huge amounts of money. And it's about the money, not the people, it's about like building treasures, not saving souls.
0: Yeah, there's um, there was a somebody, man, I forget this speaker, but he talked about how uh the people that tend to get assassinated throughout history are the ones that are willing to lift people as individuals up. Um, because that's what, that's when the state actually sees you as a threat is yeah. when it's not when you're making, there are plenty of Jesus like people. Right, like even at the time of Jesus, they even talk about it in the Gospels that there's these like movements here and there within the Jewish community or within the, you know, within the Gentile community, and these little interesting uprises and these little cliques and cults and and things that even were more profound and were more discussed than we do have like literature about Christ from the time period, but he wasn't the biggest fish even at the time right like and and the thing is that's kind of the point is not going out and seeking the clout it's going out and speaking the truth because what christ did when he spoke the truth and made specifics as opposed to speaking in the generalities you're talking about jeremy jeremy the when you speak individually it lasts longer like that's just mm-hmm. the kind of thing that impacts throughout generations christianity picked up after christ because we had his words And the more people that read his words, they were like, oh, my gosh, this is it. But it was a slow ball of snow rolling down the mountain, right? Yeah. Versus versus what's the big impact stuff, right? Oh, look at the new god of the month. I mean, if you're looking at the Romans, right? Like, hey, we got a new god all of a sudden, right? Like, that obviously made a bigger impact. It had more followers and everything. But we don't even remember those gods. I, I, as a person who studied general theology, so different religions in college, man, you get into some weird religions that are that were bigger than Christianity that nobody has heard of anymore. Uh-huh. And it's a matter of being willing to play that game on an individual level. I'm talking about on a macro level, but on a micro level, is to say, would I rather get 80,000 people, would I rather craft the perfect tweet that gets retweeted 2 million times? Or would I rather my neighbor on each side have their needs met would I rather say this guy needs mental help and so I got you know I put him in touch with a professional or this guy needed food and we came over to a barbecue or this kid was lonely well the one's just not going to make a difference immediately but you're golden right when that kid grows up and he decided not to blow his brains out because you showed him some kindness and love that that will be the biggest thing you ever did maybe not the most popular, it might not the thing be the thing they make an idol or a statue of you over. Some of the best libertarians and anarchists I know of this life will die in what is relative obscurity. And you know what? Maybe even some of their works and deeds will be forgotten. But what they pass forward to the next generation, that spirit of anarchy, that spirit of liberty, that spirit of self-seeking, even just the family members and friends who they knew and loved, that who, who were changed by it, that's going to be the. That's going to be what wins. If we're talking about an uh-huh. end game where someday anarchy wins, that's going to be the win. Is going to happen by you changing a few people's lives individually. Stop waiting for the big person to sweep the world, because even Jesus couldn't do that, or he, uh-huh. or more accurately, didn't do that. Right to say I could make you all bow down. By force, or by crafting a perfect tweet, or by being really awesome, and just or constantly walking on water and turning wine to wine, showing off all these miracles. But what makes me, what makes this movement successful, ultimately, it's not Christ's miracles, it's his words, it's his deeds, it's the healing. It's the process. It's the bodybuilder. It's the difference between the bodybuilder who takes steroids and gets instantly jacked versus the guy who diets and eats right and, uh, and becomes that slow process. And he's healthier because what happens to the other guy in the long run? He gets pumpkin head can't run around the bases and fall down versus the other guy who has this long and illustrious career and ends up winning the World Series, right? Like it's that long game and you just need to focus on it as a long game, fall in love with the process as opposed to trying to do what other Christians are doing that are getting results because they are getting results. Joel Austin is getting results. They aren't Christian. They're (laughs) not advancing Christianity. If you look around the world now and you say, oh, this is a more Christian world we live in. Like, I don't know what you're smoking, but it's time to sober up because it is not working. Like, this is not the way we want... This is not a Christian culture or society.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's, um, I think, a reasonable place to start rapping. Uh, so I guess a, a good question would be, um, if if you wanted to... Let's say you're talking to two people. One of them is an atheist um, interested in Christianity, and one of them is a Christian interested in atheism. What do you say to both of them?
0: Oh, man. That's a very specific question. Um, it, it touches on kind of what... I remember uh, there's, there's this quote that's like, part of being a pastor is making bringing comfort to the discomforted and discomfort to the comfortable you know like you know to get some people that are you know and so theoretically you should be able to get there share one message and bring them both in um closer to it i i wish i could give you i would have to deal with a generic here right because the way i convert people and again i don't really convert them but help them along is to know them right i i I guess to answer your question most specifically, I would say, in either case, I would say, tell me about yourself. Because that's the only way I'm going to make any headway. People's hangups with Christianity are different every which way. You know, there's a lot of people that are not Christians or fell out of their faith because of fellow believers, which— While we may say that's ad hominem, at the same time, can't you expect a people divinely inspired by God to generally behave divinely? You know, that's a fair, it's a fair assessment. And so I would have to say, tell me about your experiences. Um, In either case, I would want to be able to communicate their concerns in my own voice better than they can voice them themselves. And I think at only that point, you know, in psychology, they talk about people don't listen until they feel heard, right? So I would want to make sure that both feel heard. And I just say, so I would ask them about their experience. I would restate what they could, what their issues are as well or better than them until they go, yes, that's exactly it. And I think then I would proceed to craft a pitch based on that. I'm sorry that I can't get more specific than that, but Sounds I think a that's... Best honestly sounds
1: a lot like what marilyn manson said when um when uh michael moore asked you know if you were talking to the columbine kids right now what would you say and he said i wouldn't say anything i would listen to them which is something nobody else did
0: yeah yep yeah it's it's just like that i mean the rules of communication aren't out the window why did jesus eat with these people we're told that he didn't shove the scriptures down their neck we're told he didn't you know prophesy ad nauseum or come over and meet me for a lecture it's tell me about yourself tell me about your community tell me about your friends tell me what you like and then i can counter with what my message is yeah i think is in the social media era christians have become too anxious to throw in the first punch and then keep punching these these are ineffective punches right when you watch a boxing match the guy who is most aggressive at the beginning is often most aggressive because he's aware he loses in the long run. When you kind of understand what you're watching with boxing, Floyd Mayweather became as good as he is. And we'll we'll never need to talk about his ethics. (laughs) It's weird for him to come up in a Christian discussion at all. But what makes him great is also what makes him incredibly boring. He waits Forever, he knows he can outlast everybody against him. He will be losing through mid-match by like a couple punches and just not care because he's aware that in the last three rounds, the other guy's going to be tired out and he's going to get all his licks in. Uh And so, I think that that is what we need to have-that patience game of just being like, you know what, I'll field some punches, I'll field some dodges, I'll feel you out. And by the time I completely understand your boxing style, then I can actually hit you in a way that matters, right? Now, maybe phrasing it like a fight is not my best analogy
1: on this one, because ah, the, the goal Bible is obviously not to beat somebody fight up. Fight all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> I don't want to beat somebody up who doesn't believe what I believe. But, you know, and it's not really a fight. But, you know, if we're talking about uh, intellectually, just like a debate or, you know, a, a friendly meeting of the minds or something, that as Christians, if you have 10 minutes, let them talk for nine and a half minutes. If you have an hour, let them talk for the first 50 minutes. Like, just concede it and let it go. When they issue problems that are legitimate, take the word but out of your, out of your, out of your vocabulary entirely. Like, when they say, my Christian parents did this, it's like, as a Christian, I just naturally go, but they're not good representatives, of Christianity. Let them have it. Be like, your parents sucked. What an ungodly example of people they were. Mm-hmm. So keep going. Keep keep them going. Don't no butts about it. There's no need for a butt. Right? Like, so let them go and share their experiences. One of the best things about when people share their perspectives is there's no facts to debate. I don't have to get into the minutiae of Scripture or the what language things got interpreted in. People are just sharing their experiences. That is never, in fact, it's a fallacy as soon as you deba- start debating somebody's um, personal experiences, right? It's one of those things you get docked for. So you just say, you know what? Share your personal experiences with me. I'll listen to all of them. I, I like that quote by Marilyn Manson. Again, not a person you might typically think would come up in a Christian podcast. <laughs> like, but, but, you know, what a great what a great example of what could have prevented this it's it's not pills in fact the pills seem to be making it worse mm-hmm. it's not aggressive religion in fact aggressive religion seem to be making it worse it's humanity it's empathy it's understanding it's a it's a community it's a connection uh, for people who've seen a daryl davis video you you he spends like maybe five minutes talking about why race science is garbage. It's a very easy to debunk thing that even KKK members don't really believe, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't sit there debating it forever. When when he has these four-hour long-form conversations, it's 95% establishing them with a new community. Well, the problem is, is that I'm in this, and if I suffer hard times, they'll pay my bills when I suffer hard times, I know that they got my back. If people mm-hmm. are on, let's take social media, for example, because as much as I like to dunk on it, it's the primary way of communication. And it's like, if I say something terrible and I'm in the incel community, I'm overwhelmed with love. I mean, I used to be part of the Manosphere. That's a completely different story, but I was overwhelmed with love and understanding by complaints that I would have. And Because I got no understanding from anybody except for the Manosphere community, I fell for a really stupid trap, right? Like, I needed a community that goes, oh, man, your date did what? Dude, that sucks, Mm
1: -hmm. right? Like,
0: just one normal person doing that as opposed to going, what did you do wrong? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, what, so you control her body so she owed you that? And I'm like, I'm I'm not trying to say any of those things. I'm just trying to say I had a bad date, you know? And so all of a sudden, people who get bad dates find themselves getting – You know, you you even see like a slow fall. Usually it's not they woke up one day and they're in the manosphere. You always see this slow two to three years, slowly getting more begrudging towards women, a little bit angrier. You see it. And it's like and unfortunately, we as Christians or human beings don't see how to stop it. We just kind of let this whole thing fall or we see the direction they're going and be like, well, nothing we can do to stop it. There's tons you can do to stop it. Right, Mm -hmm. Like provide that person with a new community that will listen to their grievances and understand them. Now, this isn't to say that you never challenge them. People are perfectly willing to be challenged. In fact, it's something that some people almost exclusively do on social media. But we want to know that some that there is a group of people that have our back. So when these KKK members leave, despite their histories and the terrible things that they've said, or maybe done, they want to know that if I'm going to leave this, that I will have a group of people that forgive me christians do sinners know that you'll forgive them i don't know that they do right now and i think that that is a much bigger problem to how to like when we talk about how we bring people into the faith than anything that the individual faith itself we can get into details all day about bible verses and and interpretations but my goodness yeah, minutia, And uh, man, like I said, I'm left brain. I love minutia. I, I love getting in the weeds on stuff. I will do it. But not every human being operates this way. We we are used to saying- And it facts shouldn't be your focus. Yeah. Facts don't care about your feelings. Okay, but feelings do care about facts. Like if all the people with the facts treat me like garbage- and all the people that live in fiction treat me well, then I will live in a world of fiction. It's the way human incentive just works. Like, I want to believe that I'm like above all that, but that is psychologically inaccurate. It's just not the way people behave. Like, we know this. So behaving this way that like the facts should have been enough, that like this cold, hard, unforgiving, uncompromising, hateful truth should have worked because it was the truth is just just not the way human beings operate. And so when we look at Christ, is Christ just spitting out truths? He didn't teach Christ gospel at all. He didn't teach scripture at all. I should say he did speak gospel because gospel means good news. He yeah. did do a lot of that. Christ spent all his time with the good news because that's what works, man. Like That's what we want to give people. We want to be able to go into a place where there's hardcore atheists or KKK members and just say – man, I have so much good news for you guys compared to the white lives you're living, as yes. opposed to F you, F you, F you. Because then, once again, I'm that protester outside the police station, and that's exactly where they want me. Yeah.
1: Well, that seems like a place to wrap. Um, I'm going to wrap with a quote. Uh, everybody check out Hody Johns. Check out uh, his work at Game Rant, We Are Libertarians. Um, anything that he uh, wants to link will be linked in the description. Um as with the uh, Goris Acres and pre-search links, um, and anything you all want to like ask him, like that might not have been addressed, uh, feel free to throw in the comments or whatever in the places this will be. But uh, here's here's a nice quote to end things out on a quiet secluded life in the country with the possibility of being useful to people to whom it is easy to do good and who are not accustomed to have it done to them. Then work, which one hopes may be of some use. Then rest, nature, books, music, love for one's neighbor. Such is my idea of happiness. Leo Tolstoy. Goris Nexus out
0: Revolution starting inside An instrumental part of a gore worldwide Agora worldwide Agore worldwide Counter economics Agorist drip black market click Move a quick flip can't regulate this Agorist drip Black market click Move a quick flip can't regulate this Agorist
1: agorist 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 Nexus Agorist agorist